0: Welcome back to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. I am Kimberly Winston, sitting in this week for Umbreen Khan. We've been taking a sort of audio tour of a new Smithsonian exhibit that hopes to reframe the way Americans think about science and religion. One of the consultants to the Smithsonian on the exhibit is Dr. Myrna Sheldon, an historian of science and religion and an assistant professor at Ohio University. Like our earlier guest, Dr. Peter Manso, Dr. Sheldon also believes the relationship between science and religion is far more complicated than most Americans realize. I asked Dr. Sheldon what she pegged as the most important object the exhibit could include to illustrate the real dance between science and religion.
1: So I think the thing that I think is really urgent about the relationship between science and religion is really well captured in one of their centering images. So I believe that you've seen the image of Henrietta Lacks that stands on one side of the the exhibit. Yes. And the story of Henrietta Lacks, where her tissues were taken without her consent and used to develop, I mean, almost any kind of therapeutic or um, kind of innovative research you can imagine in the last 50 years, in some way, many of those things, cancer treatments, new freezing technologies, you know, just a variety of things can be traced back to the HeLa cells
0: line. Let's remind our listeners of the story of Henrietta Lacks. She was a Black woman who, while being treated for cervical cancer in the 1950s, had some of her cells harvested by doctors at Johns Hopkins University without her consent. For 70 years, doctors have used Mrs. Lacks' cells to research diseases, create vaccines, conduct experiments. The Smithsonian exhibit has included a large painting of Mrs. Lacks by the artist Kadir Nelson titled Henrietta Lacks, the Mother of Modern Medicine.
1: They were the first cells that researchers were successful in keeping immortal so that they would continue to reproduce and they could use for a variety of experimental purposes. So they came to be known as HeLa um, from the letters of Henrietta's first and last name. But researchers who used the Gila cell lines, the vast majority of them didn't have any um, knowledge of their source or, or know anything about Henrietta as a person. During her lifetime, she never knew about the use of the cells to develop them into
0: this uh, research tool. Why did you single out that image? For me, what
1: Henrietta Lacks shows us is that while all that scholarship has its value, there's so much that's missed if those are the kinds of questions that we concentrate on. And the kinds of things that we miss is the ways in which science as a system, science as a set of institutions, and or religion as a set of um, systems and institutions has these material impacts on people's lives. Um, And so when we're asking the question, how do science and religion emerge as categories? What kind of role do they have in our contemporary life? To me, it's much more these stories about either exploitation and violence or potentially liberation, especially for marginalized communities or minoritized races. So, In kind of typical science and religion scholarship, you wouldn't be spending time thinking about the life of a Black woman in the mid-century in the United States. It's just not the kind of thing that you're interested typically in that scholarship. Um, So my collaborators and I really wanted to reorient the ways that we study science and religion so that these these would be the kinds of stories that would occur to us as at the center of this field and the scholarship.
0: Mm. One of the things that the exhibit states that it wants to do is to dispel the myth that science and religion are enemies. One of the other guests on the show, Adam Shapiro, has revised a book about science and religion in which he and his co-authors state that the thinking in the last two or three decades among academics is that there's much more interplay between them than we popularly understand. Can you tell me why that is? So I think when we have this
1: image of science, religion at war with one another, we're often thinking about topics like creationism and evolution. And we'll then tend to think about science, religion as these really abstract kind of philosophical systems, like what kinds of questions they ask about the nature of the universe or whether or not God exists, Um, And so we'll think of them as like different answers to the same question. For myself, my collaborators, and I think, for instance, Adam Shapiro, that's just not the kind of way that we think about what science and religion are, so that they might have a lot of different sorts of interactions, especially depending on the way that they're situated in other kinds of power systems. So for instance, if you're thinking about a colonial government, so you, you know, you might think about the colonial relationship between the United States and Puerto Rico. You might actually see harmony between religion and science in the ways that the United States is trying to govern or settle or control a place like Puerto Rico. So, for instance, you might see, and scholars have looked at this, the ways in which Christian uh, pastors and priests and missionaries alongside scientists who are working maybe in genetics or eugenics actually work together in colonial governance and oversight. So there you wouldn't really think about science and religion being opposed to each other. They're actually, I mean, friends in some sense in kind of a terrible sense, but they're friends in some sense, both working in tandem as part of a colonial relationship. And when you think about it in that way, all of a sudden you realize there's lots and lots of ways that they can interact. Um, And actually sometimes when they get along, they're doing more violence than when they're opposing one another, um, Hmm. sometimes ironically.
0: Can you give me an example of when they work together and there's violence?
1: Well, so I think that we can really think about it in terms of political and power structures. So I was beginning with the example of eugenics because it was an ideology that was adopted by many uh, what we we might call social elites in the early 20th century in the United States. So people who were well-educated, maybe had political power, people who um, saw themselves as often as white, maybe in particular as Anglo-Saxon, often Protestant, um, who thought of eugenics, this kind of scientific insight into human genetics and human breeding as a way to improve American society. And eugenics organizations like the American Eugenics Society actually sought relationships with uh, pastors and preachers in the country where they actually held sermon contests encouraging uh, ministers to preach the value of eugenics from the pulpit to talk about the role that eugenics could have in improving American society. So here you have an example of a a community that is looking to science to improve and better society. And they explicitly reach out to religious communities in order to do that. And the religious communities are happy to go along with this. Um, And now from a historical point of view, we can see that the vision (laughs) that the eugenicists and the Protestant pastors had of American society was one that did not value minoritized racial groups, did not value Black lives, for instance, did not value people of sexual diversity or of the diversity of abilities. So there I would say, you know, science and religion were getting along just fine, um, but they were getting along in order to promote and develop a vision of the United States that many people who I value and and for myself personally would not fit into. Um, So that I would see science and religion getting along, but doing violence while they're doing it.
0: So can you give me an example of science and religion working together for good? Probably
1: the most explicit example I can see of these attempts have actually come from particularly, uh, this this is complicated, of course, but I think mm. at least explicit efforts um, made, especially in the late Cold War era, between uh, public intellectual scientists and celebrity scientists and the Vatican to, for instance, speak out against nuclear armament in the early 1980s. Probably the other place I would think about it are maybe in places that we wouldn't identify as kind of traditional or explicit, like Western forms of religion. So here I'm thinking about more kind of forms of spirituality that we might identify with African diasporic movements, or we might identify with some of the kind of new um, witchcraft movements that try to connect to uh, Indigenous, whether European Indigenous or American Indigenous um, shamanic practices. And there, I think I see some modes of, of harmony that are trying to promote new types of human flourishing and and liberation, especially for marginalized communities. So that's the other place I think I would kind of go to in thinking about
0: science, religion, working together. If we persist in seeing science and religion as completely separate and always opposed to each other, what do we risk missing out on or getting wrong about science and religion? So I
1: think the main thing that we miss is that we don't see the ways in which science and religion are involved in some of our most urgent political matters. And I'll give you some examples. And when we don't see that, what we fail in seeing is that the way that we study them should be able to speak to these urgent political matters. So for instance, When somebody asks me, what is a topic that you think is at the heart of science and religion? My mind immediately goes to abortion. Mm -hmm. In my mind, abortion is the paradigmatic, political, existential, epistemological, ontological question at the heart of science and religion. But that's not a topic most people study when they think about science and religion. Again, they go to creationism, they go to evolution, you know, maybe they go to like the age of the earth. And not that there's anything wrong with those topics. I mean, I write about them myself. But for me, you know, this question of who should have more authority to make decisions in our society having to do with when life ends or begins, what it means to be human, um, what it means to um, define who can be a parent, who can reproduce. I mean, to me, that is science and religion. Um, So, for instance, when you look at the Supreme Court case, Hobby Lobby v. Burwell, the Green family said, you're requiring us to Support or pay for our employees to have access through the healthcare we give them to certain reproductive technologies, and we believe these technologies to be abortifacients. That is, things that call abortions. But the FDA, which is the government's, you know, scientific institution that defines um, what these technologies are, does not classify those things as abortifacients. It classifies them as contraceptives. So here we have an instance where. a private organization for religious reasons saw a technology classified it as an abortifacient because of their religious convictions. The FDA in its kind of scientific authority opposed it and the court supported the Green family and they won that case. I mean, to me, that's science and religion, right? And in this sense, religion won and it has has had enormous consequences um, for people's lives and their families. We continue to see this in the adjudications over abortion. So when I think about, you know, if you were a person who wanted to study science or religion, I would probably make you study abortion first. But also I think if you're a person who cares about abortion politics in the U.S., I think that you should have the resources from people who study science religion closely in order to engage with that issue in the best way possible. So I guess another way that I would put this is, I care a lot about the academic study of science and religion. It's it's what I spend my life doing. I wish the field would study in it a different way, but I actually care less about that than what I care about is people who are not particularly interested in the academic study of science and religion, but who are dealing with in their lives or in their communities' lives, these really pressing political problems. And I believe that my scholarship and other people's scholarship should be useful to them. It should give them insight. It should give them support. It should give them vocabulary. And so that's why I want to change the field. It's not really for the scholars, although I care about that. It's actually for these political issues.
0: That was Dr. Myrna Shapiro, an historian of science and religion and an assistant professor at Ohio University. Dr. Shapiro was a consultant to the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History's new exhibit, Discovery and Revelation, Science, Religion, and Making Sense of Things. When we come back, we'll learn why the authors of a recent book about religion and science gave it a massive update. Stay with us.